Coming up on Studios America, I break down the real issues on critical race theory with James Lindsay. And Whoopi Goldberg digs herself a Holocaust-shaped hole. Don't forget, you can get 10 bucks off a Blaze TV subscription when you use the promo code STU at blazetv.com slash STU. And the controversy surrounding the British Prime Minister feels very similar to a lot of controversies with politicians on the left here in the United States. Let's compare and contrast as we do Boris Johnson. Stu does America. Boris Johnson is in the news quite a bit, and he doesn't want to be. Um, this is kind of, this is happening to a lot of politicians these days. Uh, in the COVID era, a lot of times you find your name trending, and you don't want it to be trending. It just doesn't work out all that well. Right now, Boris Johnson, of course, Prime Minister of the UK, is in a, a pretty big controversy right now, as he apparently had some naughty parties during COVID. He did not uh, apparently take a couple of years off from uh, human interaction like so many others had to do in Great Britain. Um, And let's go through some of this because uh, there's a point here that's separate from what's going on in, in Great Britain, which, you know, look. Do we care? Sure, we care because we love them. They're our allies. They're our oldest allies and also a really old enemy as well. Our oldest enemy and our oldest allies. Um, but there are, they, we have that sort of natural connection with Great Britain. And so we love them. Boris Johnson, he's got the messed up hair. We think that's cool. He's had a connection with uh, President Trump when he was in office. They were pretty close. And, you know, he's generally speaking, as far as world leaders go, uh, modestly sane. I think, for the most part. Uh, So what's the accusation? There's a lot of uh, trouble going on with him in the UK. They basically are saying, look, uh, Boris Johnson had all these parties. There are 16 events that took place over a dozen dates between May 2020 and April 2021. And there's a new report out from one of their watchdogs that basically lines out a case that they did lots of things that were wrong. Let me give you some of this. Um, Some behavior at the gatherings was difficult to justify, given the public was being asked to accept far-reaching restrictions on their lives. Some of the events represent a serious failure to observe standards for government and those expected uh, of the public at the time. At times, there was uh, too little thought given to what was going on in the country, the risk to public health, and how the events might appear to the public. There were failures of leader is, uh, le- uh, leadership and judgment. Uh, they should not have been allowed to take place, these events. And some of the events that were probably okay to take place should not have been allowed to develop as they did. Uh, also, there's a uh, commentary on the excessive consumption of alcohol, which is not appropriate in a professional workplace at any time. I think we all know that. Obviously, you should never drink at work, ever. I mean, that's completely ridiculous. Anyone who drinks at work is completely out of control and uh, has no justification to keep their employment. Uh, That's something we, of course, stand by very, very closely here at Stu Does America. Uh, So Johnson has had to uh, answer for this a little bit. And uh, first of all, this is going back to December of last year when he these allegations first came out about uh, covid lockdown era parties he was taking place in and he denied them. Watch. Will the Prime Minister tell the House whether there was a party in Downing Street on the 13th of November? Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, no, but I'm sure that in, in whatever happened, uh, the guidance was followed and the rules were followed at all times. Of all the stuff we have jettisoned from our time, 
uh, when we were tied to Great Britain. Why didn't we keep this cool political system? Where like the president just has to kind of stand up there and we say, hey, you, answer this question. And everyone moans and groans and yells at him the entire time. We should have that. Why do they have that? That's, that should be American. We should have kept that. Um, uh, then again, on January 26th, 2022, he was asked if this controversy would have him resign. On the 8th of December, the Prime Minister told this House, I have been repeatedly assured since these allegations emerged there was no party. So since he acknowledges the ministerial code applies to him, will he now resign? No, Mr Speaker. (laughs) I just love how everyone's just like chanting and groaning and there's like real energy building up. You ever watch C-SPAN? It sucks. Put this on. We get some ratings going to C-SPAN and maybe even C-SPAN 2. That's, that's, that one I can't, I can't lock in, but I think maybe. Uh, Johnson also uh, now has uh, come to the point where he's realized, uh-oh, this is a big controversy. My uh, pr- prime ministership is in trouble. I may be voted out by my own party. All this is going on. So what do you do at that point? Uh, you uh, b- apologize. I will address its findings in this statement. But firstly, I want to say... Sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right, and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules, and it's no use saying that people were working hard. This pandemic was hard for everyone. We asked people across this country to make the most extraordinary sacrifices, not to meet loved ones, not to visit relatives before they died. And I understand the anger that people feel. Do you? Do you? I don't know. Maybe he does. Um, it is kind of a repeating thing that goes on with politicians all throughout this entire time. Over and over and over again, we've seen this. Here's the picture, one of the pictures from one of these events. Now, this is one of these supposed parties they're talking about. Now, look, there's four people sitting at a table outdoors. Okay, is that a party? I don't know that I would consider it a party, but I guess it was certainly against the rules of the country at the time, even though it was outdoors. At no point did it make any sense to restrict activity outdoors, but they did it. So I guess that party was against the rules and maybe he'll be paying a big price for this. This, of course, comes on the heels of dozens of these types of incidents here in the United States. We had a couple of this just this weekend at the Rams game, Gavin Newsom who's just, I mean, legitimately terrible. Uh, he was there with Magic Johnson. They decided to take a picture with no masks on, despite the fact they have an indoor mask mandate at what they call mega events, such as a big football game with thousands and thousands of people. That wasn't the only picture. We also saw Eric Garcetti, uh, as well as Mayor London Breed, there at the game with Magic Johnson as well. Magic has a pretty nice suite, apparently. Uh, and uh, she was caught there without a mask. They all were not wearing masks. It's almost as if they don't actually believe the masks do anything. Because if you think, it's one thing to not align yourself with the policies that you are, uh, are espousing. It's bad enough. But if you actually cared about your health and you thought you were really in danger, you would wear the mask because you thought it helped you. It's kind of admit this is them basically admitting they don't actually believe this crap. Of course, Gavin Newsom basically lied about it and said he only had the mask off for a second while he was taking the picture. 
you know, cue the instant footage of everybody taking pictures of him at other moments in the game when he didn't have the mask on. Uh, London Breed, of course, has had a previous controversy as well. Uh, she was uh, at a Tony, Tony, Tony concert. And uh, there she is, dancing, no mask, indoors, tight little club, everyone breathing on each other. The guy from Office Space, Michael Bolton, seems to be sitting there in the foreground. And uh, her excuse, my, this is one of my favorite things ever, when her, her excuse afterward was, look, it was Tony, 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 what am I going to do? It was Tony, 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 Tony was back together. You know, one with the Y, one with the I, one with the E, Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> Hello? That was basically her entire press conference. It was fantastic. It made me like her more, I will say. Uh, but I had low standards going in. Gavin Newsom, of course, at the French Laundry. We remember this. This is a big thing. Almost got him kicked out of office when he was maskless indoors against his own uh, advice, at least, uh, in particular area. Uh, had a little bit more freedom than he was espousing to the rest of the state, but against his own advice, against his own good example, of course. Lori Lightfoot out there, and well, you know, she wanted, she wanted to do a rally, and the rally was important. The guy behind her, uh, you know, of course, he's wearing a mask. Is that a her or he? I can't see. Uh, he looks like a woman. Uh, uh, I don't want to judge her gender, though. That would be wrong. But the person behind, uh, in fact, a lot of people in the crowd, they're wearing masks. Not Lori Lightfoot. Not Lori Lightfoot. Tight little crowd. Doesn't matter. Not wearing the masks. Go back even farther. Of course, Nancy Pelosi. She needed her hair did. And there she is in the uh, hair salon uh, getting a haircut because she's important. Her hair is important. Your hair, not important. You know how long I sat here doing freaking shows with no haircut? I bought a Flobie, okay? I bought a Flobie. It wasn't even a, a name brand Flobie. I had to buy a knockoff Flobie. And I sat here with my hair getting longer and longer and longer, wearing the same freaking suit every night because no dry cleaners were open for like a hundred episodes. Do you know what that's like? Those are the sorts of sacrifices I make for you on a daily basis. Do you even recognize that? Mm. Anyway, uh, there was also the <laughs> the uh, George Floyd protest where it was it was really bad to go out and protest the restrictions against uh, of covid against the population. But not so wrong to uh, go out and protest if you are on the liberal side of racial injustice. So that was fine and totally OK. And science, I think, proved out that that was allowed, even though it, it was uh, not allowed. This one was actually more frustrating to me and I think has not not really gotten the attention through all of this that it should, which was the funeral for John Lewis. Now, the funeral for John Lewis happened indoors at a church, hundreds of people sitting close together indoors for a funeral. And of course, their answer was, well, look, this is an important person and he died. We have to have a funeral. I don't know if you know this. You told everyone else they weren't even allowed to see their loved ones. They weren't allowed to have funerals. People were getting arrested in New York City for having funerals. People were not allowed to go into hospital rooms when their loved ones were still alive. You wouldn't let any of that happen. And then because I guess John Lewis has a, uh, an, uh, an important name to you and you wanted to be seen there, you get to have your little John Lewis funeral. It was despicable. That's one of the most despicable acts of hypocrisy in this entire thing. And that was early on in the pandemic, too. Uh, really a disgrace. And, of course, this has been happening in all sorts of elements of our society. John Kerry recently I just had uh, exposed for his gas-guzzling family jet, taking 16 trips in the year alone, and he's out there pitching about the climate. And you might say to yourself, well, look, does it really matter if John Kerry takes a private jet? 
And the answer to that is no, it doesn't matter at all. I don't think there's any negative consequences to it. In fact, if John Kerry wants to take a private jet, fine, he could take one. And going back through all of these, was there, were there, were there anything, was there anything in here they shouldn't have actually done? Like, couldn't Boris Johnson have a drink of wine outside in the middle of a really stressful time with a few coworkers outside at a table? Can he do that? Well, of course he can. Was there any risk to that behavior whatsoever? No, not at all. As we've said over and over again, there has not been one single case in the entire pandemic that has been documented to be passed outdoors outside of close conversation. Uh, you know, I guess you could have a close conversation there, but you're not required to. Bottom line is these are very, there's a very limited risk to these activities. Gavin Newsom sitting in a luxury box with Magic Johnson, it puts, does not put him at risk. It's not really a risky situation at all. But the point here is not whether these activities were risky or not. Many of us said these activities were not risky and we wanted to do them anyway. And people like Gavin Newsom and London Breed and Eric Garcetti and, uh, and Nancy Pelosi all said we had to do it anyway. And I will say, Boris Johnson falls into this group a little bit as well. While the things he were, was doing were not actually unsafe, he locked down on the entire country and just because he was aligned with President Trump and he seems to be a world leader we generally like as conservatives, I mean, he's not a conservative as far as we would look at him, but I mean, you know, generally speaking, with all the other options, he's one of the better ones. But this hypocrisy has to stop. Anyone who's in these situations, anyone who advocated for laws that restricted the people in mass like they did over the past couple of years and then didn't live up to those standards should not be in a position of leadership. They should be gone. And that includes, if this is true, and the full report has not come out yet, but if Boris Johnson was participating in this, he should be too. All of them should. Our side, their side, any of them. To ask a population to not, to, to not be able to go visit a loved one, to not be able to allow their kids to go to school, to not be able to just have a, an outdoor beverage with a couple of friends or coworkers. When you're asking for that type of restriction, you absolutely have to live up to it and more. You should have absolutely nothing on the record. You should not take a picture with your mask off. You should not have drinks outdoors. You should not even go to a Tony, Tony, Tony concert. I know the sacrifice level is high, but you are supposed to be held to a high standard. And when you ask this much out of a population and do this much damage over this period of time, every single one of you should be gone. Ronald Reagan talked about it you know, 40 years ago. Massive inflation that we haven't seen in decades and decades and decades, and now we're seeing it again. Today, we're starting to see those levels all over again. 
Uh, Reagan laid this out, and you know it was one of the reasons that people really connected with him. He said inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an unnamed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. And to, your, to the economy, this is true. As your retirement accounts are under attack, thanks to the inflationary policies of this administration and so many of our politicians going back, uh, make sure you call Birch Gold. These are the people to trust if you want to diversify your 401ks and IRAs into gold. Uh, if you are one of these people who are trying to get ahead, you want a life vest for your uh, retirement, you need to help uh, get this, you know, all of your, whatever savings you might have, whatever investments you might have, part of that should probably be in precious metals. You need to look into this and make sure you understand the risks and the rewards of this. But to offset some of the craziness going on in Washington, I think this is a really good choice. An IRA or 401k, get it into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold with thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with a Better Business Bureau. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. All you got to do is text Stu, my name's Stu, S-T-U, to the number 989898. You can get a no-obligation info kit. Comprehensive 20-page guide reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can buy uh, gold under the umbrella of a tax-sheltered account. Uh, so make sure you do it the right way. Text the word STU to 989898. It's STU to 989898 for Birch Gold. I'm happy to welcome James Lindsay back to the program. He is the founder and president of New Discourses and has a brand new book out. It's coming out actually on February 15th. It's called Race Marxism, The Truth About Critical Race Theory and Praxis. Be sure to pre-order your copy today. James, how's it going? It's good. Welcome to Texas. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you're from uh, Tennessee. Yeah, so, so you have, have an affinity. Yeah, like there's a taste of freedom that goes, that there's like dribs and drabs all over the country of real freedom. I feel like Texas, Florida, Tennessee's got some of it. You know, a lot of the South is this way. Yeah. It's, it's weird, though. Have you yeah. noticed this talking to people that you know who live, you know, in the Northeast and everything else where there's this two-tiered country going on where I can't even connect to the world they're living in right now? Yeah, I can't even imagine. I talk to people from New York City, and they tell me what day-to-day life is like, and I'm thinking, it's like, that's another, it's another country. Yeah. It's, it's not America. Yeah. You see these stories from, like, New Zealand and Australia, and then you realize that there's pockets of the country here that maybe are not that quite, quite that extreme, but really are uh, living a life that doesn't seem like the American way of life. Yeah. Not in Tennessee, though. We gave up on all this crap <laughs> right off the bat. It's, it's been great. It's important to do that, I think. You know... I always think of like the, the American people are the ones leading the government, right? It's, it's not the other way around. I mean, that's right in our state constitution. I took mm. the time to read our state constitution. Oh, I believe wow. it. People, you can do that. You wow. can read your state constitution. <laughs> it's available? I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and like a very first thing in, in the Tennessee state constitution is the state bill of rights. And uh, the first article in it, first section says, you know, we can overthrow the government if we need to. Mm. And then the next uh, article, one section two, the second thing, it says the, the doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary powers to be considered slavish, absurd, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. So we have to resist arbitrary power in Tennessee. Mm. So Tennessee is a very free state. It's, yeah. it's a pretty good place. That's great. I mean, I, and I bring, I bring up the, the COVID part of this because I think it ties into your book. Um, mm-hmm. You're going into critical race theory. And before we get into the details, how important is it for the average person to stand up and say something about this? Because I think a lot of times we let this stuff roll over us and we don't, we don't, we don't make a big stink about these things until it's too late. Yeah, it's pretty important. Uh, as far as, you know, it's hard to say this thing's more important than that thing. 
you know, anything that's like vaccine mandates and passports and stuff, that's probably number one most important. Critical race theory is up there on the list, mm-hmm. especially in the schools, though. So getting this out of the schools, protecting our children from it, I would say how important is it for people to stand up? You know, if it's a scale of one to 100, like 99.999 important, yeah. like it's way up there. Yeah. Um, uh, it really is important. And we saw that, you know, we've seen election results that have twisted and turned on, on this. It's a big thing, especially because you're talking about kids. Um, so I want to kind of, if I look back at critical race theory, our relationship to it as the average person, first of all, no one knew what it was, had never heard of it before. Then all of a sudden it became this sort of buzzword. And the left said, this is just an intellectual theory. It's, there's, no, there's no reason. This isn't being taught anywhere. We then kind of realize it is, and everyone then gets this sort of boiled down version of it, which is, well, you know, companies are, have woke stuff and they're in, in, you know, these training courses and schools have weird history items in there. And, and it's boiled down to that. And I think now we've lost sight that it's actually bigger than that. There's a whole intellectual theory here. And that theory is not just limited to a university classroom. In the book, you kind of try to walk people through what this really means. Yeah. Um, it's the beginning and end of this entire thing. And I hope, I, hope this is, I hope your book ends this for good. What does this mean as far as the bigger picture, an intellectual theory? I mean, it, the title really, and not to boil it down right after you said people boil it down, but the title <laughs> tells you it is race Marxism. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a little bit of a story to using the title race Marxism because I spent, I've known about critical race theory unlike most people for at least four or five years. Mm-hmm. I've been reading it for, you know, four or five years. Um, I've been familiar with it. And I vigorously resisted the conclusion that it's race Marxism, or in other words, Marxism that centers race as the primary construct for understanding inequality. Uh, it, that's in the words of Gloria Ladson Billings, a critical race theorist. That's what she says critical race theory is about. Hmm. Um, I, I avoided that conclusion studiously until I was finally just completely overwhelmed with the evidence and, and finally had to conclude, no, this really is Marxism. Uh, it was devised by Marxists who were trying to figure out a way to switch the analysis from economics to race to do Marxist things, in other words, to subvert society and, and make room for a revolution uh, that they'll control on the other side. They'll enter us into not socialism, but equity, a managed state where things are redistributed until that becomes spontaneous and then we won't have communism, we'll have racial justice. And it's exactly the same model. Uh, it, it finally, finally conquered me, though, that this is what it is. And so when you understand that it's another bid at Marxism, that's using race and identity politics in place of using, you know, economic agitation and workers, labor movements and unions and things like that, then, then you understand what's going on and realize why it's such a catastrophe if we don't stand up and stop it. And also, like we were just saying a second ago, you do have to stand up because it won't go away on its own. Marxists don't just quit. No, they never do. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it, it seems to be a better approach in a way if you're a Marxist, right? Where like the economic part of Marxism is is has been disproven over and over again. Mm-hmm. People reject the idea of communism. They reject Marxism in that way. They realize the free market has done a lot of good things. Even the left, a lot of times, you know, the left is the one on Uber and, and you know, they, they see a free market and like yeah. it. Where um, with race, we all agree that racism is bad. 
Yeah. You know, so it's like it, 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 there is a there's an entry level for almost everybody to look at this and say, well, I mean, of course, we don't want people to be racist. And that gives them that little passageway to, to get involved in this. That's exactly how it works. Mm. And, and you're right. Even the Marxists in the 60s were looking at the situation. and They said, well, look at this. The labor movements, you know, the working class has been stabilized. They even wrote in their own writing, you know, we, we thought that the the working class would be immiserated by capitalism. But actually, this is an exact quote from a guy named Max Horkheimer. Actually, it allows them to build a better life. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That's terrible. Right? And so they realized that, you know, what you end up with is a, a working class that once you get past, like, the crony problem and the monopoly problem and, a, you know, some serious abuses that, that you know, kind of, those tyrants in the corporate sector can 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 visit on people. Once you find solutions to those, people can actually work to build a better life, and they like the life they get. Well, when you move over to something like identity, it becomes very difficult to stabilize mm. that. Like you said, there's an entry point for everybody. Everybody is against racism, and so it has this kind of you know people like to make money, period. But yeah. nobody wants to you know be a racist. So there's this really like subtle shift that actually makes it more insidious and dangerous and poisonous. Um, and it makes it even more important for people to understand that, no, it's the same old Marxism. It just is causing cultural division instead of, uh, you know, employer versus employee division. Hmm. There, there is a, um, you spend a little time talking about, because that sounds like fascism in a way. And, we, and a lot of this sounds and feels like fascism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of the tactics are very similar. But you make the distinction that it's not fascism. It, it is, it's really more Marxist than fascist. What's the distinction there? So there, there's not a lot of daylight between the two, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and it is, in, in, in a sense, very fascist in that it, it's paired up with the corporations. As a matter of fact, because all it cares about is race, not work, you know, uh, economic class. And because they see the working class as having betrayed the revolution by stabilizing themselves, there's this very kind of bourgeois, you know, upper, upper middle <laughs> class kind of vibe to the whole thing. But the, the primary distinction uh, in the book, I'm very clear that it, what this is not is not national socialism. It's not, it's not Nazis. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought for a little while because the race you know, the racist aspect to it and the, the folkish nationalism, black folks, brown folks, white folks, sure. everything's folks. folks. Like, They're all the folks. All the folks. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, where have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, okay. Mm-hmm. Ein Folk, I got you. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to distinguish. And what that actually is is that, you know, the National Socialism had a very particular vision for how it wanted to build humanity. And what this has is just the kind of very profound negative thinking, criticize, ruthlessly criticize everything that exists. That's more characteristic of communism than of fascism. Uh, and to, in, to, to get themselves into positions of power where they're going to, you know, put in programs that just kind of don't work. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of... Um, you know, attempt for them to to seize control of the means of production here or even to, right. to, to do any of that kind of maneuver. What they're actually interested in is controlling messaging, controlling branding, controlling mes- uh, uh, words and images and symbols, uh, cultural production, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I mean, we've spent a lot of time recently, especially around here, talking about The Great Reset. Glenn's book is out. Great uh, twofer, if, you, if you're on Amazon or wherever, buy both. Um, and it's interesting to see how that comes down the line, right? Like, this is something that's not enforced. I feel like back in the day, they would try to pass some law to block you from doing X, Y, or Z. That's not how this is enforced. It, it, it comes through the back door. Yeah, it, it's, it's all done through institutional bureaucratic mechanisms and then social enforcement. Hmm. So it's a cultural revolution. It's more like Mao than like 
Lenin or Stalin. Right. Okay. right. So the idea is to, to poison the culture to make it so that it's inappropriate to be certain identities, but then you have other identities like an ally, for example, that gets you out of, it's like your get out of jail free card, but to do that you have to become an activist on their behalf and do their bidding all the time. Uh, the other thing it does is it worms its way into institutional policy by adding in words mm. that seem like everyday words like diversity and nobody's going to say, they say let's add a line that says we're going to honor diversity. Nobody looks at that and says, well, what do you mean by diversity? Right. You know what diversity means. You're sure. going to look stupid to ask what the word diversity means, but little did you know, it had a secret <laughs> definition. It, it meant that you are authentically expressing the unique voice of color that's structurally determined, da-da-da-da-da. has a specialized definition. In other words, so you have a, a commissar that's now going to have you know Marxist policy working its way in. So that policy works its way in sometimes for years or decades before you even know it's there. It's not action uh, actionized, I guess, or put into action mm. until they gain enough power to where there's really nothing you can do about it. And then you're having to go to these horrible trainings <laughs> right. and, you know, everybody's always in trouble and you're going to get fired if you don't do exactly what they say because uh, all of a sudden the the emphasis, and you have to hire all these new administrators and so on, all the emphasis is, is done kind of backwards, this bureaucratic uh, rot. And, and there's this like sort of protection racket uh, that's part of this as well. Oh, yeah. Where you it's can racket, pay Ibram yeah. Kendi to come speak at your place and that will get you out of the next five racial incidents that you have. We brought him in. They're like paying this in advance to be shielded from the mob. Yeah. And these people are collecting millions of dollars off of this. On a completely fraudulent product. And if we had clear eyed judges who understood what they were looking at, as clearly as you just said it, we would have RICO cases yeah. all over for diversity training. It is all a gigantic PR and moral extortion racket. And they bully people and they bully institutions. They threaten them with liability. You know, they threaten them with, with mob cancellation. They threaten them with, with bad PR. And it's a gigantic extortion racket that they run over and over and over and over again. Uh, and like you said, it's got a very racketeering kind of yeah. element to it where, you know, you can call in the Don and then you aren't, you know, they're going to pass you by for the next three months until you have to drop another 50 grand to get him to come by again. What's the right way to think of these companies? Because sometimes I, I look at them and I say, I just, you know, my, I get angry and I'm I, what are they doing? I can't believe they're doing this. They're playing along with this craziness. And then there's a part of me that's like, you know, if I'm a CEO, I'm trying to make the next quarterly earnings. I can't have freaking, you know, Al Sharpton or the equivalent of Al Sharpton out in front of my office for the next six months. Just make it go away. And, I, you know, there's part of me that kind of understands that, but I, that's got to be dangerous long term. That's exactly right. Um, I would guess that most corporations, it's not to say all of them, because some of them are colluding in these ESG right. things that Glenn talks about a lot. And the S is social justice and has critical race theory in it. So they get their, you know, asset scores and whatever else. Their social credit score for the company goes up if they play along. So there's a there's a perverse incentive there, but a lot of them, at least early on especially, would have been, you know, I don't want this hassle. I have things to do. And just what do we have to do to make it go away? Oh, we have some stupid consultant come in and give some seminar and nobody wants to do it, but then it calms it. Yeah. So just just make this mess go away. And it is dangerous long term. I mean, I get that if it's a normal mess or even, but, but giving into any kind of an extortion racket is always dangerous. But this is a communist extortion racket. Mm. So when you give into it, what you do is you bring it in. It's entire logic entire logic is to find anything that subordinates it and then to gain dominance over that. Its whole logic is to be anti-subordination in any form whatsoever. So if it's beneath, 
you know, we have corporate policy, we have corporate culture, and we'll bring this in as like this little tool inside. No, it doesn't stay as a little tool inside. Southern Baptist Convention, their famous Resolution 9 a couple of years ago, brought critical race theory in and intersectionality in as, as, as tools, they said, analytical tools subordinate to Scripture. Subordinate. It's not going to stay that way. Mm-hmm. And so if you try to appease communism, it's, it's going to, you know, it gets inside. It's almost like a vampire. You have to, like, open the door and let it in. Yeah. And then it, it, eventually it's going to bite the neck. It's either going to kill you or turn you into one of them. Oh, uh, I, we're running a little long. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this last one here. Because I think this is something that the right falls into as a, as a, a pitfall here with this, which is you talked about with, with Lenin um, accelerating the contradictions. Mm-hmm. This, I think, is a really important uh, under, uh, like, um, tactic that the right is at times falling victim to. Can you explain what it is and how we fight back against it? Yeah, so the idea with, with Lenin, he was talking about starving people. Um, the idea is that if you can make enough chaos, enough friction in society, if you can, what will happen is people won't like that. They will see that there are contradictions, that the system's not working. Mm. Now, Marxism always... Uh, externalizes all the blame onto the existing previous system while holding itself up as the virtuous savior of that situation. So what they do is they create these kind of um, scenes, whether a kind of paradigm example would be where critical race theory came from in the first place. They went to the Critical Legal Studies Conference in the 80s, and they said, you guys are all racists. And then they all got in a huge fight over whether or not they're racist or whatever. Mm. And so then the whole thing falls apart after a couple of years. Critical race theory rises out of the ashes. And so what had happened was that the racial contradictions that people, you know, were, that were allegedly tucked within the movement were brought out. They were accelerated. We, everybody's going to argue about race constantly, all the time. Everything's got to be about race. And so now what the, the image is for people is, well, look at all this stuff that's going on. There must actually be a problem about race. I get asked this all the time from yeah. corporate leaders and people on the right. Well, if we get rid of diversity training, what are we going to replace it with? Because there's obviously must have been a problem because they've accelerated the contradictions and made it look like there's a problem. But the problem, it's snake oil. The problem isn't real. The problem is that you've taken some of the medicine that's actually made you sick, and now they're trying to sell you more of the medicine as the thing that's going to try to make you better. I mean, it's, a, it's in certain ways brilliant. It's a brilliant scam. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it really is a brilliant scam. It's the perfect way to put it. I can't wait for the book to come out. Uh, James Lindsay, founder and president of New Discourses. The new book is Race Marxism, The Truth About Critical Race Theory and Praxis. It's coming out on fe- uh, February 15th. That's just uh, two weeks away. So make sure you get it. Pre-order it now. James, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, so glad. Trying to buy or sell homes in this uh, market right now, it can be challenging, and that's why you need to have a real estate agent who can come in and take charge. If you need the house painted, uh, here's who you talk to. If you you know need to replace the stairs, the, the agent's got a guy, someone you can trust. That's why realestateagentsitrust.com was started. And it was started by one Glenn Beck. Yes, many years ago, Glenn had a bad experience with a real estate agent and was just like, hey, you know... I can sit here and complain about it, or we could do something about it. And that's what Real Estate Agents I Trust is. Basically, it's a way to screen real estate agents in your area, no matter where you are. You can get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying a home, selling a home, if you're moving across the country, everyone's moving to Texas or Nashville or Florida. Uh, if you're doing one of those things, well, then go on realestateagentsitrust.com. Find the best agent in your area. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. 
Well, also, if you're yeah. going to do this, then let's be truthful about it because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about maybe race. Maybe ethnicity. Yeah, yeah, no, it's Jews about a different it, race. But it's, it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but going it's not, after it's not about ideal race. It's it's but these are two Romans. white groups of people. Well, that how do we have to black people see too. them as white? And they, but you're missing the point. You're missing yeah. the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. 25 years of that just babbling. 25 years they got out of a show, which is just a collection of the dumbest people you've ever met talking about things they know nothing about. What an incredible gig. That's The View. Uh, amazing clip. And now, of course, obviously, Whoopi Goldberg got some heat from that. Um, and, you know, man's inhumanity to man, yes, of course, that's involved. Uh, but uh, it's not the only thing involved there. Uh, David Harsani writes on National Review, every act of malicious violence is about man's inhumanity to man. Slavery was about man's inhumanity to man. Islamic terror is about man's inhumanity to man. Every homicide in Chicago this year will be about man's inhumanity to man. Hitler was obsessed with pseudoscientific notions of race, which included the superiority of the Germanic people. Nazis considered Jews a race that possessed immutable inherited characteristics of parasitic vermin. In the Nazis' eyes, one could not renounce their Judaism any more than one could renounce their skin color. This perverted philosophy was used to justify mass murder. It was about race. Part of the problem of Goldberg's ignorance, but part of it is part of the problem is Goldberg's ignorance, which is the problem with every segment on this show. Uh, but part of it is an inability to see history outside of the prism of contemporary progressive grievances. It's true. She thinks the word race just means black versus white, which is not what it means. It's not true. She uh, eventually got the word from her PR firm that she was not allowed to say these types of things. She put out a statement. On today's show, I said the Holocaust is not about race, but about man's inhumanity to man. I should have said it was about both. As Jonathan Greenblatt from the Anti-Defamation League shared, the Holocaust was about the Nazi syst uh, systematic annihilation of the Jewish people who they deemed to be an inferior race. I stand corrected. The Jewish people around the world have always had my support and that will never waver. I'm sorry for the hurt I have caused. Written with my sincerest apologies, Whoopi Goldberg. Now, of course, this is nonsensical. She probably didn't even read it, let alone write it, uh, because she went on Colbert later on and totally blew up the apology she just made. I said this wasn't racial. This was about white on white. And everybody said, no, 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 it was racial. And so that's what this all came from. So once again... Don't write me anymore. I know how you feel. Oh, she doesn't like those letters. Okay, I already know. I get it. And uh, I'm going to take your word for it and never bring it up again. Mm, that was really sincere, wasn't it? I'm going to take your word for it? So you don't believe this. I'm never going to bring it up again. Is that okay? Are we allowed to do that when we have these controversies? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've misunderstood how this all works. Oh, don't send me your letters. I know how you feel. Is that enough? Are we allowed to say that too when we have a controversy? She doubled down on this even more during with Colbert. Have you have you come to understand that the Nazis saw it as race? Well, because they might like well, asking the Nazis, they would say, "Yes, it's a racial issue." Well, see, this is what's interesting to me because the Nazis lied. Oh, so it's it a lie. wasn't. Yeah. They they had issues with ethnicity. 
Not with race because most of the Nazis were white people and most of the this people the they were point. attacking were white people. She's just so to me, I'm thinking, how can you how can you say it's about race if you are fighting each other? She's half-assed apologized twice for this and she, yet then just doubles down again and just repeats the same point. She's she she's learned nothing. She knows nothing about this. And that's the story of 25 years of The View. Do you like a good snack throughout the day, but you'd rather not pack on the pounds uh, eating it? Well, you know, hey, Built Bar is here. They're going to save the day for you. They've got great flavors, uh, coconut, mint, brownie. Mint brownie is Glenn's favorite. It's the one he likes the best. Double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream. There's a bunch of great ones. My wife eats them all the time. Uh, they have nine regular flavors you can get in their mix box. And these are like protein bars. There's like 140 to 180 calories. You know, four or five uh, net carbs, 18 grams of protein. They're really good, but more importantly, uh, they're so good for you. And as you know, I am, I am a person of complete health. Uh, I'm, I'm seen as a, people call me a vision of health. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't come up with that nickname. That's just what people call me. Go to built.com, use the promo code two fifteen to save 15% off your first order. They don't taste like protein bars. They taste delicious. The code is stu 15 for 15% off right now at built.com. Dot com. Make sure to check out the podcast. Why not? This week, I'm trying to remind people, check it out on Spotify. We're on Spotify. You might be listening to another service. Go over to your Spotify account, subscribe or follow the show on Spotify. Maybe send a little message to uh, Spotify to continue to stand up for Joe Rogan as uh, they are under a lot of pressure right now. Um, you can check it out there and get every episode on Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. If you happen to give us a nice little review, you know, it's great. Whatever. That's totally fine. Plus, you can go over to YouTube, youtube.com slash America. Comment live during the show. Timothy writes, I like when you have Dan Andros on the show. I was fond of him back in the Pat and Stu days when he was Pat and Stu adjacent. And that's that's how I think of him as well. He's just Pat and Stu adjacent. No big deal. Um, Jimbo writes, I've disagreed with Joe Rogan so many times, but never would I have wanted him kicked off a platform because of what I thought of as wrong information. That makes you a sane human being. That's what it, that's, that's, that's what it makes you. You're not crazy like everybody else. Sean writes, there is nothing wrong with hearing people's uh, different thoughts uh, and, and opinions, but it doesn't seem right that if you don't agree with one side and you question it, it's misinformation. No, that doesn't seem right. That is not how we're supposed to do things in the United States of America. More speech, not less. This is a simple concept. Just let people talk and let them say what they believe, and then you pick it apart if you want. You can make fun of them. You can mock them. You can tell them they're wrong. You can agree with them. You can embrace them. You can tell them they're right. But you don't shut them up. Not in this country. At least that's not the way it's supposed to be. So Hunter Biden is back in the news. And as far as we know, that does not mean he's knocked up another stripper. Now, he may have. We just don't know about it yet. Uh, I don't know how we find out that information. With so many strippers all throughout Alabama and Arkansas, who knows how many he's knocked up. But I will say uh, he is back in the news because The New York Times is actually suing the federal government, uh, the State Department, uh, asking for details for U.S. embassy emails that mention Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. 
Hmm. In the lawsuit filed in federal court in Manhattan, lawyers for the Times requested access to emails sent by officials at the U.S. Embassy in Romania between 2015 and 2019 that contain keywords including Hunter Biden. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what we don't know what this is tied to. We don't know if if they're going after the Trump administration, saying that they were trying to get dirt dug, you know, digging up dirt on Hunter Biden. We don't know if uh, the Hunter Biden uh, echoes after uh, Biden left office as part of this. We don't know. But we do know that Hunter Biden has been in all sorts of trouble. And we do know that this week, in fact, tomorrow on this program, we're going to be talking to Peter Schweizer. He's got a new book out. Uh, It's about uh, China in particular, but Hunter Biden is heavily featured in it. And Peter has the laptop. He's gone through the laptop and has been able to prove all sorts of stuff when it comes to the relationship between the Biden family and China. So we'll get into that tomorrow. And while you're there, you should always, of course, acquire a Hunter Biden laptop case at HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. This is the best laptop case of all time. HunterBidenLaptopCase.com is the place to go to get it. We will see you tomorrow.